A Dog's Life is supported by RelaxoPet. It's simply animal relaxing. Being left alone, travelling, fireworks, thunder, trips to the vet, or just a change in any environment can unsettle a pet. This tune sounds very relaxing, yet beneath this meditative melody are levels of frequencies that are only audible to your dog. When I tried out RelaxoPet with my excitable miniature bull terrier Prudence, I simply couldn't believe how quickly she settled and actually seemed more deeply relaxed. Her behaviour in general has actually dropped several gears <laughs> and she is more confident and calm in herself, so I use it every day. Developed in Germany, RelaxoPet emanates cleverly configured frequencies that tune into your dog's subconscious to retrain his thought processes into becoming calm. Tested in collaboration with vets, breeders, pet parents in a huge variety of stressful situations, it boasts a uniquely calibrated speaker system that just plugs in and plays. Along with the RelaxoPet sound system, you can develop a calmer dog with other RelaxoPet products like the super scent safe multi-purpose play ring and the soothing cool bandana. Why not check out their full product range and even order yours today from PetTradeInnovations.com. That's PetTradeInnovations.com. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Well, Mr. Binks, here we are in Battersea, south of the river, and we're off to visit the historic Battersea Dogs and Cats home. Don't worry, Binksy, I'm not going to leave you there, but Battersea is celebrating their 160th anniversary this month. So today is part one of our special visit. Today, we'll talk to Natalie Ingram, Head of Training and Behaviour, and Sean Opperman, who is Vet Director. much for uh, joining in on this Dog's Life celebratory episode of Dusty's 160th year anniversary. Explain a bit what you do here. So I'm a canine behaviour and training manager so I manage the team that are working day to day with all of the dogs across our centres um, providing training tips and advice, um, working through their assessments and supporting owners when they rescue new dogs um, as well as anybody else that needs our support really. So our role's really varied. Um, are you getting involved Teddy? Um, we work with the dogs on site, we support um, external dogs, so anyone that's got a dog outside of the organisation um, and do lots of training so all the staff, volunteer, foster training um, sits with us as well. So anything behaviour and training related really. That's amazing. So how many dogs, um, Natalie, would stay here at any one time? So normally we would have about 140 dogs here in London at our London centre on site um, and that can um, vary depending on um, what's going on. At the moment we're really lucky, lots of dogs are going off to their new homes so um, we've been really lucky that everyone's wanting to rehome a dog at the moment which is, which is amazing. Amazing. Um, obviously we've been here for a really long time um, and we help so many thousands of animals every single year so although we might have 140 here it's many more that we're helping throughout the year. No of course I mean in, in this pandemic you know what are your thoughts for people rehoming at the moment I mean hopefully they've thought it yeah. through but obviously we're living in such uncertain times. We are living in really uncertain times and I think um, you know it can be seen as the wrong time to get 
a pet um, because we don't know what's happening and people's circumstances could easily change. But there's also many reasons why it might be the right time for an individual. I think the most important thing is that people think long and hard about getting an animal um, and make sure that long term they're able to support that animal in their new home. So if you have got a period of time where you're working from home but you might then need to go back into the office, you've got to be prepared to put the work in to adjust your dog or cat to that situation and be prepared for that. Um, financially, are you stable and secure and able to look after an animal? For 15 years potentially if you get a young animal or if you get an older animal they might need you know more medical bits as they get older um, to support them through their old age so regardless it's you know commitment um, regardless of when you do it so just making sure it's the right time for you exactly you know a dog is for life not just for <laughs> lockdown but of course dogs have been great companions through this pandemic Amazing, you know yeah. um, and certainly I couldn't have gotten through without I my know, dog definitely you loads know. of benefits to having a pet at the moment so um, you know it gets us out of the house for our daily walks and things yes. and their companions and we can invest time in them at the moment as well which is lovely so I think there are lots of positives it's just making sure that it is for the right reasons that you're getting a pet yes um, and that you can make that commitment really um, exactly and putting the time in you know and I love training um, dogs I adore it and giving dogs a second chance Natalie and yeah. being on the front line with this as you are here in their rehabilitation it must be amazing like beyond oh, rewarding it is um, <laughs> I think everyone always says oh how can you do the job that you do and it's um, it is the most rewarding job you know seeing dogs come in and their transformation, getting those um, emails from customers who have rehomed from us, um, going, look at my dog, you know, having a wonderful time or snuggled up on the sofa watching TV. It's just the most rewarding job. And I think there's something really special about rescue animals. Um, you know, you are giving them a second chance and they come into rescue for all sorts of different reasons, often through no fault of their own. And they don't always have sad stories. Some are very happy animals that come to us. So it's not, it's not all doom and gloom, um, but just seeing how well they do with their new owners is just fantastic. But Natalie, some of the dogs might need a bit more rehab than others. You know, explain to the listeners, you know, what your process is in, in assessing dogs when they come in um, and taking their, their treatment plan, as yeah. it were, onwards. So here at Batsy, we're really fortunate. We um, look at every animal that comes into us as an individual. So when a dog comes into us, if an owner brings that dog in, we'll have an in-depth chat with them to really find out everything that they know about their pets so that we can transfer that into the care that we're providing for the animal. Our assessment process looks um, at the dog over a period of time. So we give them time to settle in, make friends with us, build a bond. So we really become their carers and you know their people, if you like. They become our best friends as well. And um, we look at them around other dogs, um, around food, toys, you know, things that they can experience in everyday life. Um, in terms of rehoming, what we would then do is consider um, what an owner is prepared to take on, um, how much time they've got for training, where they live, what their setup is, so what their expectations of their new companion is going to be. And then we really carefully look to match that up with the dogs and the cats um, so that we can pair the right pairs up together because, you know, it's, it's great to think about what the dog needs, but it's also about what that new home needs and if you can get that match right then it's it's spectacular absolutely and i think you know in these times as well adopting is now considered the way to go yeah. i mean i think back in the day some people would think oh you know rescue it was more second hand almost mm. but that's changed completely now and adopt don't shop really is is the message yeah. um but um even if you go 
to the most responsible breeder, you're never sure when you buy a puppy, even if it has been really well bred in the right condition, how they're going to turn out. So really to adopt from Battersea, you've assessed these dogs and yeah. you have made that match. So there is far more likelihood, I would hope to say, that you get the happy ending you I know I think it's it's really challenging isn't it puppies are so much fun and you know you can't um you can't get angry at people for thinking I want a puppy <laughs> in my life like they just make you laugh and smile but they are such hard work as well oh yeah and um we do get puppies as well here at Battersea and you are assessing and giving advice on an animal that's still got so much learning to do and their ultimate behavior and character really depends on all of those life experiences so when you're rehoming an adult dog or an older dog, you're possibly getting um, something that's slightly more stable in their behaviour. So in terms of the information that we're giving to an owner, yes, you can still train an old dog new tricks, you can still change them, so I don't want it to come across that you can't, but in terms of their overall character, they're slightly more formed, so um, you do know a little bit maybe more what you're getting yourself in for, whereas that puppy, you've definitely got to put in the hard work to make sure that the ultimate adult dog is what you want. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So I think in these times, you know, to adopt makes a huge amount yeah, of sense. Um, no, going back to COVID, you know, how has this, you know, affected rehoming um, over this period, Natalie? It's been incredible because I think um, we were expecting that it would hit us really hard and it has. You know, we are a charity, so as all charities, we're really hard hit at the moment. But in terms of the support for Battersea and people that are considering rehoming, um, it has just been phenomenal. Um, so as long as people are looking to rehome for the right reasons, then definitely consider taking a rescue dog. Um, it's been very sad times as well. You know, we've had fewer people on site. We haven't got all of our volunteers and foster carers around. So we're looking forward to getting them back hopefully soon. Um, very strange times, but um, definitely the teamwork has been phenomenal to make sure that all of our animals are still getting exactly what they need, if not more at the moment, um, and that we're still here to support every dog and cat that needs our help. Now, some dogs um, go on to be service dogs and take on roles that really help people gain back their independence by being perhaps a medical alert dog. Yeah. Um, explain that a bit more and how you decide when a dog comes in, you know, gosh, this dog has got some sniffing ability here. I think, you know, we should offer you up to one of the assistants or charities. Yeah. It's um, always super fun. You don't always know straight away when the dog comes in. Um, we get to know them. Normally it's the ones that are slightly more bonkers, if I'm honest, that are um, very lively that. and, um, yes. you know, the owners give them up because they go, it's just too much for me at home. They just don't settle in things. And they're dogs that really need to be kept busy and want to do a job. Um, we've got a, amazing working dogs service dogs manager who um, comes and works alongside us to try and find these dogs and identify them um, and we've had some great successes dogs that have gone off to charities like medical um, dogs um, and you know they help support people or sniff out cancers and things like that it's incredible and dogs noses are so powerful and you know if you get the right dog in generally they're dogs that like tennis balls and like searching so when we're taking them out to play with them we start to see that actually they're pretty clued up on where those tennis balls are and no matter how hard you try and hide them 
they spot them straight away and that's when we ring our working dogs manager and go do you want to come and have a look at this dog and he'll suss them out and figure out if they've really got what it what it takes basically I love it that you mentioned tennis balls yeah. because I'm very fond of them I've actually I'm actually working with Dave Wardell at the moment okay. training my miniature bull terrier to sniff oh. out truffles oh wow yeah no, just exactly just same for thing fun. isn't it yeah. exactly it's for and fun and it's a game for them which is what's wonderful and really important to us and so why is play so important in rehabilitating dogs Play is an important um, behaviour for dogs because it's allowing them to express all of their natural um, behaviours in a really constructive way. Um, for owners and people with companion dogs, it's a lovely way to bond and form a relationship with a dog. Um, and that's what's really important. You know, there are studies that show that dogs that um, meet new owners and just take a ball straight to them or a toy straight to them and engage and play with their human, as Teddy goes off to engage and play across the paddock. <laughs> Teddy's um, great. Teddy's off. <laughs> um, engage and play, and they're more likely to get rehomed because why would you, you want that engagement with your pet and um, it's a lovely way of communicating with your animal as well and doing something constructive and fun for them. Um, I think we quite often forget as owners to do things that our dogs enjoy and it allows them to expand energy, um, to use their nose if you're playing search games, um, to use their mouth as well with toys because that's their way of communicating and exploring their environment and it gives them a mental um, release as well because they're using their brain hopefully to do fun things, it tires their brain out as well. So so many different reasons why it's important. And I think we forget, and, and dogs can remind us that we need to have fun mm -hmm. as well, because dogs are just ultimately fun-loving yep. creatures, um, sentient beings. So, you know, and when we're playing with our dog, that then releases creativity, Absolutely. and we're in the moment with our dogs yep. and forget about, you know, our to-do list. Yeah. Exactly. Now, we're just in one of your paddocks at the moment. It's lovely, bright, <laughs> sunny October day. Um, explain what you'd use one of these paddocks for and why. So these paddocks get used for a whole range of different activities. Mainly it's an outdoor safe space that the dogs can come out and interact and sniff and play. Um, in some of our paddocks we've got loads of different plants that have different um, smells and oh. that, you know that can really allow the dogs to go and sniff different things and explore different um, mediums. We've got sand pits for the ones that like digging, especially some of our terriers enjoy diving into that sand pit and throwing. You need to make sure you're out of the way as the sand goes <laughs> flying towards you. But they love doing things like that. Um, paddling pools, um, not so much now as it's getting colder, but definitely in the summer um, we use water as a form of enrichment for the dogs as well. They can enjoy just paddling around or just cooling off in it. Um, it's a great space to play with them directly. Um, we can play in their kennels, they've got lovely big kennels, but outside it's just a whole different game that you can play with the dogs. Um, and part of, you know, dogs are social creatures and they often may want to interact with other dogs, so this is a great space for them to play with other dogs if they enjoy that. Um, yeah, and just to have a bit of fun and do some training as well. Agility, all sorts of different things. Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, you know, helps with the rehab to gain yeah. trust. Because it's all about, I would think, with a lot of um, the residents, yeah. is, you know, learning to trust again. Yeah, it's learning to trust and building that relationship and that form of communication. So training really is a form of communicating. It's you teaching your dog that if I do this and you do that, then you get a lovely reward as a result. So they go, okay. I know what to expect in this situation and so many issues arise where there's miscommunication and dogs don't understand what you're trying to get them to do or what you're saying to them and then they get frustrated, we get frustrated and then that can lead to issues. If there's a really clear form of communication, everyone stays nice and calm and relaxed and has a great time. So it's so important and for the nervous dogs, 
you know, getting rewarded, it really builds up their confidence as well and, and trust in people. And we can hand that over to new owners, which is, is great. I always think a lot of messages do get lost in translation because a lot of people don't take the um, effort or interest to learn to speak dog or to understand what the dog is saying to them. Obviously not in speech, but in body language, eye contact and so on. Um, is that something you, you, you know, help new owners yeah. to understand? Like yawning, for example, that mostly doesn't mean a dog's tired. They're not tired. They, they might be stressed or find the whole situation a little bit much. Yeah, it's um, something that we're really proud of here at Battersea. Um, it forms part of our staff training and volunteer and foster care training right from the word go so even those staff that don't work in kennels that work in the offices one of the first things that we teach them is all about dog body language because if you can read what your dog's trying to say to you um, then you can respond to it in the right way and if you do that you're resolving half the issues they don't need to escalate things um, they don't need to become clear and as humans unfortunately we're not very good at picking up on the subtle signals our dogs are telling us and then they have to escalate to a growl or something that's obvious that we go okay I get that and I'm going to give you space now whereas actually there was 10 things before that that meant the dog needed space um, or that you needed to protect your dog and move your dog away from something they might have found difficult so yeah. we're really hot on body language and it's um, it's really important that we get to know the dogs in our kennels because then you know you get to know their little quirks and what means that that dog particular dog stressed um, you know it's different for every single dog and if we can identify that and hand that over to new owners they've got an understanding of those animals as well moving forward so yeah really important oh that's brilliant just quickly you know because it's 160 years what do you imagine um natalie the behavioral problems were in dogs 160 years ago I and mean, do you think they would have been less because dogs had more purpose then you know terriers were used literally because we didn't have a sewer their system jobs, they yeah. were doing their jobs you know gun dogs were out yeah. you know getting dinner <laughs> you know there wasn't a supermarket um, um, do you think maybe, arguably, dogs might have been happier then? I think it's really hard to say, isn't it? Definitely you look at all these pictures and there's just pictures of groups of dogs everywhere together and I think um, dogs were allowed to just get on with what they wanted a little bit more, um, which probably in some regards did make them happier, but I guess they possibly also needed to... Um, work to get what they needed a little bit more you know their life maybe wasn't quite as um spoiled. consistent no. yeah no they weren't spoilt and and you know you can argue spoil spoils maybe not the best way of treating your dog you know they don't need all of the things sometimes that we provide them with but definitely you know a lovely warm place to live food on a regular basis things like that that routine that we provide them with now probably alleviates a lot of anxieties i also think maybe back then there wasn't a need to worry as much about behavioural issues and welfare was very different and standards were very different so maybe things weren't picked up on or weren't seen as a problem whereas now they are seen as an issue you know we need our dogs to be sociable and be able to deal with so many situations that we put, put them in which at the time probably wasn't even on people's radar. No, exactly. I mean, who'd think we'd um, fly with dogs? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't think aeroplanes had been invented yeah. in the 80s. So, you know, it is massively different. But I think, I hope you agree, you know, that we do have to remember dogs are dogs. Yeah. And we do, um, you know, our duty of care is to fulfil their needs. Yeah, they are, um, you know, it's to provide them with what they need. If we can do that, they're happy dogs and they'll be great companions for us as well. So that is really, really important. Um, 
and you know sometimes it is okay for them to go out have a good roll around in fox poo and come home and just smell and you know yes we need to clean them up but just let them do the things that they enjoy sometimes within reason it, it, it is important absolutely natalie it must be heart-wrenching you know to spend time rehabilitating dogs and then although you're seeing them waving goodbye to their good home that hopefully will all end happily you know how do you stop yourself from having a broken heart every day it is really really hard um i think for me it's always thinking about the positives and knowing that you've formed a part in what that dog needed at that moment in time and that it's really important for them to go off to do their you know what they need and and live in their new lives and that you've formed you know, you were part of that life, um, but you've also been part of giving them that second chance or third chance, depending on how many they've needed. Um, and you've got to think about the positives and know that, you know, they're going to have a great time. And just, I think that's the most important thing for me, knowing that whatever we do, um, it's always in their best interests and, and we've got to keep them at the centre rather than us. Um, and that hopefully, you know, we've done the right thing for them. Oh, Natalie, you're amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank Lovely you. to talk to you. <laughs> Sean, thanks so much for joining us on A Dog's Life today to discuss the role of the veterinary clinic at Battersea over 160 years. I know you haven't been here for that long, <laughs> but how long have you been at Battersea? Well, you're right, and I was having this conversation just the other day and it, was, it did uh, shock me slightly that I've been here just shy of 30 years. And so nearly a fifth of actually Batsy's history, which, which puts it into some sort of awful context. But uh, well, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it, thinking, you know, back in 1860, um, dogs would have had different needs from a veterinary perspective, perhaps to today. You know, not least, I would imagine there weren't many obese dogs in 1860 compared to today. Well, I wasn't there, but uh, I'd imagine you're right. I mean, it would have been a completely different situation and the numbers would have been completely different too. Um, the numbers coming through Battersea would have been in the tens of thousands a year. Um, and certainly at other times, like through the war, I think there were nearly 50,000 animals coming through a year over the, in, in the wartime. So and how does that compare to today, Sean? Um, today, probably five or 6,000 animals coming through here. So, so very different. Really? So yeah. that much yeah. more, yeah. you know, in the, in the past, as it were? Well, certainly. And there would have been well, huge challenges in Victorian times. I think even at the turn of the century, there was, there was rabies was in London. And so can you imagine the sort of fear that that would have generated and which then led in turn to, to tremendous cruelty for dogs in the streets that would have been, you know, been people would have been very fearful of and probably would have uh, treated them very badly. Yes, I hadn't actually thought that rabies was around. Um, how interesting, because yeah. people must have got it then. Um, I don't know how many cases there were of people in the in the UK, but certainly it was uh, it was it was prevalent in dogs at one point, and there was a muzzling order. So all dogs had to be muzzled, and those that weren't, obviously, probably met a, a difficult end. But uh, gosh, yeah. but you know the advances in veterinary medicine probably are you know the most notable in in the in this time frame. You know because. Antibiotics for dogs, I don't think, became available till after the Second World War. Yeah, well, that's right. But even in the time, I mean, even in the time I've been at Battersea, 
uh, there have been huge advances in medicine and, and surgery. So um, and any vet listening to this who qualified you know, in the late 80s as I did will tell you the advance in just painkillers, for example, has been enormous. And, and so we can do so much more for animals now in terms of analgesia, which is fabulous, you know, thing. But that's, that's in relatively recent times. Yes, and vaccines, I guess, as well, you yeah. know, particularly with rabies. Yeah. That obviously now is available. Luckily, we're rabies-free at the moment in yes. the UK, touching wood. Yes. Have you seen in your time then in the 30 years trends in dog fashion, if you like? I mean, I don't mean in clothing, but I mean in breeds that has influenced um, the, the type of procedures that, that you might have to do. Oh, certainly. And, and in a way, uh, Batsy is really a mirror to society in a way. And in a sense, the veterinary clinic is part of that. And so we have to adapt to these changes. So, for example, um, probably in the sort of 90s and noughties, there was a huge influx of uh, bull breeds, particularly Staffordshire Bull Terriers. And so um, as a clinical team, you get good at doing knee surgery because Staffords are quite susceptible to little patellas that slip in and out of that, you know, the groove in their knee. So, uh, so we get very good at those. And then I'd say that in more recent times, of course, we've seen well, an explosion in, in, um, in the brachycephalic, you know, the flat face breeds that we're seeing, French bulldogs and pugs. And so we get very good at doing airway surgery. And so, yeah, we have had to adapt to changes in fashion. Yeah, have you noticed, you know, you mentioned Staffies there, that because um, Battersea, of course, has been really behind breed-specific legislation. And, um, you know, I remember the campaign that Staffies are softer than you think. Right. I particularly loved that campaign because I'm a bull breed person yeah. myself. Um, did you ever have any dreadful surgery to do on a dog that might have been used as a bait dog in the underground, you know, I must say illegal dog fighting mm. rings that I feel it's got better because it's not so much in the news, but certainly, you know, circa 2000s, um, there was almost, there was an ep epidemic really mm. of these hoodies yeah. with their dogs. Yeah, we certainly saw um, victims of dog fighting um, they often have quite characteristic wounds, um, but often we see this category of dog, which is called a bait dog, as you say. And so these are dogs where if you're training your dog to fight, you want a submissive dog for that dog to fight or to attack that won't fight back and injure your dog. So they call them bait dogs, and we know they're bait dogs because characteristically they'd have their teeth filed, um, filed down so that they wouldn't be able to, to um, attack the dogs that's, that they're being trained to fight. Gosh, how would they have filed their teeth? That sounds a bit... Probably with a rasp. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible to even think about it in a way, isn't it? But, um, but then, of course, so is dog fighting. It's a, an appalling thought, really. And have you seen a decrease in that in recent years, Sean? It's really hard. I mean, we've, we've seen occasional cases. I don't think I've seen a case for a long while now. Again, I'm some touching words. Mm. But, um, so perhaps it was more prevalent then. But it, it, it's really hard to know because it's mainly an underground um, area, isn't it? But it always struck me how, um, despite the sort of abuse that they had suffered, how trusting and gentle some of these dolls were. It made it more heartbreaking in a way. But similarly, um, you know, we were able to get some sort of fabulous homes once we'd, they'd been through their convalescence. But uh, that's one of the reasons we love dogs so much, I think, isn't it? They, they kind of live in the moment and uh, it's, uh, it's very hard to break that trust that they have. Sometimes. Well, absolutely. I, I agree. And living in the moment, you know, I know I wouldn't have gotten through lockdown without my dogs because they do mm. offer you this you know, they obviously, they don't know that the pandemic is going on and the joy they have, you know, in the morning, it's 
morning and they really bring you joy um, yeah. of that presentness. Yeah, and they're a connection to a normal time as well, I guess, in the sense that you just said that they weren't aware of the, well, they're not aware of the pandemic, how could they be? So they, they connect us to to the life we're still looking forward to hopefully getting back to at some yes. point. Well, let's, oh yeah. gosh, let's hope so. But yeah. it's so lovely to be here face to face, yeah, isn't you it? know, because yeah. I think everyone's been getting a little bit complacent. Oh, you know, do we really have to yeah. walk beyond five minutes from our front door, yeah. you know, in a yeah. way to get places again. Yeah. But I think it's our moral duty to get London. Yeah you know moving uh, again I, I couldn't agree more but and, and in a way obviously the the clinic team here we've been back we've, we've been on site throughout the the lockdown but we resumed surgery even a couple of months ago now so um and there are tricky areas because that, that was a point where we we're all told to self-isolate or socially uh, distance rather yeah and there are areas of or aspects of the job where you can't do that typically in operating theatre of course so we get around that by working in sort of small teams but of course we're always fearful of, with the sort of test and trace things that we might all get sort of sent home at one particular moment so these are all challenges that we've had to work through when we're putting together our risk assessments. But I, I was really proud of the team, how keen everyone was to get back to work as quickly as possible and yes. do the right thing for the animals under our care. Have you seen any evidence of, you know, this surge, this boom in puppy love that uh, happened over lockdown? You know, we went into lockdown mm. and we'd run out of loo roll and now we've run out of puppies. Yeah. Has that affected Battersea as yet? Not yet. I'm touching wood again here. <laughs> it's a great question because they're certainly around and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of people paying eye-watering mm. sums for some of these sort of puppies and these hybrid puppies. Yes. Um, we're all sort of anxiously looking, I suppose, at what might happen when uh, the furloughing ends um, and whether the redundancies that we're told are, are going to uh, come into play, whether that will have an effect um, and whether some of these dogs who perhaps have just been with their owners all of this time for 24 hours a day, uh, when those owners do go back to work, might be um, candidates or separation anxiety or some other sort of behavioural traits that might mean that we end up with a bit of an influx. So we just don't really know because we thought, I think, at the start of the lockdown that we would be inundated with dogs as they had been in other countries. Um, but in fact, quite the opposite happened. Uh, and we, we found that obviously people were actually wanted to hold on to their dogs and, and found them a, a huge source of comfort, you know, as you were just saying. So yes. and it's really hard to predict what's, what's going to happen. Yes, I mean, let's hope people have thought it through because it is just, I guess, you know, yeah. a dog is for life, not just for lockdown. Yeah, and that's right. this couldn't be more uncertain for anybody. And I think hopefully adoption might be on the up as people have more time. But have they looked, how do they know what the future lies for them in two or three years' time yeah. in terms of even having a roof over yeah. our own heads? I mean, it's yeah. all terribly worrying. It, it is. It is terribly worrying. And, uh, you know, I guess it's a, such an obvious message from a shelter, but for those thinking of buying these sort of designer breeds, if you like, and paying huge sums, we'd always, always urge people to... to look at their local rescue first and, and, and see what's on offer there and, yes. and give a deserving um, home. What would you say to people really interested in, we talked about flat face breeds then, you know, they yeah. do come with a lot of health problems, don't they, Sean? They do, you know. I mean, uh, and Frenchies, well, they were, I think they were the Kennel Club, so they were number one breed last year, was that right? Even yeah, ahead of so. all the big hitters like the Labs and, I know, I think and, the, lab and the like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I... I'm not sure. I don't think I'd even seen a French bulldog ten years ago. But in London now, if I go into a pub, I 
you know, half expecting to be served by one. There are that many of them wandering around central London. And, and you're right, they do come with some particular health problems. Um, some of the ones that we may not be aware of, but such as a sort of skin, and they have some also some spinal deformities uh, they're prone to, but also their eyes, of course, are very protruding. And they don't get much protection from the, from the socket as they should do. Um, so they're prone to ulcers and the like. Um, but also, of course, everyone knows, I'm sure your listeners would certainly know that they, a lot of them suffer with airway problems. And they often need a type of surgery that's called BOAS, which yeah. is all about helping them breathe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Brachycephalic, which just refers to their the foreshortened face, that flat face, if you like, um, obstructive airway surgery. And, and really the condition is as a result of sort of multiple levels of obstruction, starting with the nostrils, which are often quite constricted, then sometimes the bones in the nose, which should be a lovely area for uh, airway, um, for moisture and heat exchange, become quite convoluted. And then the soft palate is often lengthened. Sometimes the actual trachea, you know, the windpipe, that's reduced in diameter. So it's just, you, you, in some, some of these cases, it's just a sort of catastrophic combination of, of obstructions. And um, it's a salvage surgery. Um, it's not always successful in all dogs either, but we can attempt to reduce the palate. Sometimes there are little outpouchings and obstructions in the back of the throat that we can remove and things like that. So, and we can uh, lift, we can sort of separate the nostrils, if you like, and widen them uh, to help them breathe more easily. But um, it's a, shame that one, it's a shame that we have to do this, of yes. course, you know, it's and, terribly uh, sad. And this is all just about exaggeration of features. It is. It's a sort of, um, I think someone referred to it almost as a Disneyfication of a, of a dog. That, um, and someone's also likened it to trying to, um, the face of a baby almost, with the sort of disproportionately large eyes and sort of dome forehead. These are things that obviously we're drawn towards as humans, and, but we're trying to recreate it in our dog's faces, you know, with actually uh, quite, quite um, poor outcomes actually for these individuals, which is, uh, we've got to get away from this yes. desire to, to, um, to be obsessed with extreme features in, in, our, in our dogs, really. And it's interesting, you yeah. know, thinking we're 160 years now, you know, back then, of course, there wasn't exaggeration of features and the French yeah. Bulldog right. was, was here, you know, it's a, quite an old breed, yeah. similar to the Pug. And at this point, I always refer to the self-portrait of Hogarth with his Pug, who is unfortunately, or was unfortunately perhaps named Trump. <laughs> it was called Trump, actually. I mean, um, it's in the National Portrait Gallery, this, this, this etching that uh, Hogarth did. But uh, little Trump, uh, he doesn't look anything like a pug no. does now. You know, no. he's actually got quite a big nose. He's obviously a small dog. He has, doesn't appear to have the bulgy eyes. Um, and that's sort of a lesson to us, really, isn't it? And it? It is just, yeah, just selective breeding over the years. You're absolutely right. There's loads of documentary evidence of, of far less extreme sort of um, muzzle characteristics of dogs at those times. But over the years, they've just been bred in a more and more extreme way. Well, the bulldog, of course. I mean, there's a, a key one, you know, a typical yeah. Victorian breed. And now they're even breeding backwards in, yeah. in lineage to create the old Victorian yeah. type uh, yeah. bulldog that can you know run more freely yeah. breathe more freely and and be a dog yeah yes it was quite sad I I'm sometimes cycle to work through through the park and in, in a warm summer um, sometimes I saw um, a, a couple of Frenches being exercised and um, one of them was just carrying a tennis ball in his mouth which I think obviously looked quite cute but 
my first thought was, I know why he's doing that. It's actually to, to open his airways and enable him to breathe more easily. And to be fair to the owner, they were exercising it early in the morning when obviously it's cooler and so it's a sensible idea. But often a lot of the things that people think are cute are actually manifestations of, of, um, of a distress, if you like. Um, so, you know, even snoring. So you go on Facebook, you'll see, oh, it's adorable. People put up videos of their dog snoring, or it's just like my partner, that kind of thing. Or dogs even sort of toppling over because they're, they're sort of exhausted because a lot of these dogs suffer from sleep apnea as well. So it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? I think it's an education piece, I suppose. Um, no one intentionally wants to, um, it, most dog owners, of course, they're, they're, they, they want their dogs to be, be happy and healthy, but sometimes the, um, the health aspects are masked. And I guess perhaps the priority of owning dogs has changed. I know we're talking over 160 years, which is a very long time, but you know, we're actually, I think, particularly at the moment, after this lockdown frenzy to buy a puppy, we're probably living with the most dogs we've ever lived with in their domesticated state. You know, perhaps over 30,000 years, this is, you know, the most dogs living with us ever, conceivably. And, um, you know, do you think our expectations, Sean, of dogs, um, and, and from their health perspective, has, has changed? You mentioned social media there. You know, could we have forgotten what a dog maybe really is? You know, social media's played a huge part in all of this. Instagram, I guess, and Facebook, and celebrity culture as well. Um, and the fact that these dogs, yeah, they do look cute, for want of a better word, uh, if you're looking at them on Instagram. But of course, that doesn't tell you anything about uh, the requirements of those dogs or the fact that they are individual animals, you know, often suffering from quite marked uh, health issues. Yes, yes, I must say um, it's very important to remember, you know, that a dog is a dog yeah. and, you know, we, we, we need to spend time with our dogs as well to yeah. get to know them from the welfare aspect of the yeah. phrase health and welfare, yeah. which I think some people perhaps aren't, aren't doing in normal times enough. They have been now and I guess one of the good things that might have come from lockdown is that people have got to know their dogs a bit more yeah. and yeah, understanding true. a bit of their quirky behaviours and trying to work through them, maybe that's one of the silver linings of lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I think you're right. What remains to be seen is perhaps um, as, as these people go back to work, <laughs> not having spent uh, so much time or no, no longer spending as much time as they did, whether some, some sort of behavioural traits might, might emerge. But yes. we, we've yet to see all this, of course. You yes. Know. Or it may be that people now in future will work from home more and, and that relationship will continue. So it's all... It's yes. all up in the air at the moment, I guess. It really is. Um, but thank goodness we've got Battersea here <laughs> yeah. to um, help yeah. the owners um, in need and help the dogs if, you know, their owners do decide to relinquish them, which, you know, would be a terrible shame for them all, really. Yeah. That's part one of our special, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, you really enjoyed learning that it is true that every dog deserves a second chance, just like you had. And next week we'll find out about Battersea's beginning and how it kept going from the Victorian era through two world wars and on to today. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe. A Dog's Life is streaming on all platforms. And while you're there, go on, give us a five-star review, because it really will help other dog lovers find us. Thanks, of course, 
to Battersea and you can find out more about Battersea at Battersea underscore. Thanks also to Mike Hansen, my very patient producer at Pod People UK. And for me, you can find the latest at Anna Web Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, we are back next Sunday and we'll be tuning in to the second part of our Battersea 160th anniversary special. Thank you to Earth Animal No Hide Choose. Order yours now at earthanimal.com forward slash UK.